Hi, everybody. This is John Petrolis, host of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, another show from your friends at Gray. On Gray Matter, we explore the most innovative and inspiring ideas from creators, founders, and inventors. We dig deep to learn about the problems that led to big solutions through in-depth conversations. And right now, you can listen to our conversations with creators like poet Jay Ivey and comedian Cecily Strong of SNL, the founder of The Moth, George Dawes Green, the couple that started Unsplash, and the inventor of the not-reaching pouch, Jackie Carter. And this year, we have even more great conversations coming your way from innovators from industries including fashion, social media, tech, and more. Episodes are released every other Tuesday. After you finish listening to The Five Things, go check out Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find podcasts. That's spelled G-R-E-Y, Gray Matter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. The Five Things is a podcast where we dive deep into five topics from social media and share our takeaways. Before we dive in, if you haven't heard our special Pride Month episode on the past, present, and future of queer culture, you should definitely check that out. It's in this feed wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. With that, let's dive on into the five things. I've got Amanda Davis and Juliana here. Amanda, Juliana, hello. Hi, guys. Hey, hello, Kenny. All right, let's dive into our five things. Facebook is the first platform to offer 100% profit to gaming streamers. Very cool. Twitter announces super follow subscription option. TikTok adds an accessibility overview. Instagram reverses penalty for feed post reshared to stories. And finally, TikTok's new initiative to support Black-owned businesses. With that, Amanda, why don't you kick us off with Facebook and the first platform to offer 100% profit to gaming streamers. This is pretty cool. So Facebook's Facebook's gaming platform announced they're going to start letting streamers earn 100% profit from subscribers instead of taking a cut of the earnings like most platforms do. I think Facebook used to take 30%. I'm pretty sure Twitch takes around 50%. Um, so this is pretty exciting. Twitch has always been kind of the lead dog in gaming content. You know, other platforms like Facebook and YouTube are making a lot of serious efforts. But the streaming community was actually really excited by this news. And of course, kind of thrilled to throw it back over to Twitch and say, you know, your move, you know, these platforms are doing a lot to attract us. What are you guys going to do? So like in the last year or so, you'll see every platform's had a couple of different, you know, wins and losses trying to attract the streaming community. There's been some fiascos with music licensing. There's been the hot tub meta ordeal. But there's also been some good updates. Amazon launched um, their Game On app, which helps uh, mobile streamers especially capture content and share it. So the next year, I think we'll continue to see a lot of these platforms, you know, trying to attract the streaming crowd. And at this point, a lot of these gaming streamers, while they relied on Twitch to get the audience in the door, they do have the right to say, okay, you know, followers, I have this huge group of fans that want to see my content. Let's all go to Facebook or let's all go to YouTube. So the, the game's evening out a little bit on the platforms. I'm curious to see how the other uh, players jump in, but kind of a kind of a hot take over there from Facebook Gaming. Yeah, it's uh, pretty wild as well. I know that there's been, um, Amanda, to your point about, you know, various apps trying to get that attractive from streamers. I know Facebook had that kind of uh, kerfuffle with Oculus uh, getting on the, the, some gamers feeling a little bit uh, peeved off that they have to have a Facebook account. So the fact that Facebook is essentially trying to extend this olive branch, this gesture of goodwill, 
very interested to see what comes of it and if they'll be able to kind of get over that hump um, as far as the relationship that they've uh, garnered with them thus far. Very, very cool. And I love seeing this. I think, you know, Facebook's been trying to figure this out for a long time. This is this is really a long time coming. So excited to see where this lands. Um, this is another one. I'm, we're going to shift gears. That was a subtle transition. Um, I'm getting my podcast sea legs back. It's been a while. Uh, we're going to move on over to Twitter here, which announced their super follow subscription option. And this is actually really, really cool. Uh, there was rumors over the last couple of months that this was going to be coming, but the first images of the super follow option are finally coming to bear. And this gives creators a way to monetize their Twitter presence, uh, giving them the ability to charge a monthly fee for exclusive members only features, which could be discount codes, special content, newsletters, all different types of things. Uh, it's going to be pretty interesting. I think Twitter's doing a very good job of, of, uh, communicating how they want to support creators and how they want people who have large followings and are reaching those hard-to-reach audiences and, uh, you know, give them a chance to be monetized for that or compensated, rather, for that. Amanda, Juliana, what do we think about that? I mean, I am a big Twitter fanatic. Uh, I'll admit that is my app of choice. And I am very interested to see how this operates from the sort of you know, obviously there's a lot of people that use Twitter essentially as an extension of their journalistic endeavors as a form of like news sharing. And so it will be interesting to understand if there's kind of a tier to that information being shared. Uh, I do know that there's, you know, other individuals that might use it as almost a, you know, another form of a Patreon. So there's kind of that bonus information, but I'll be very interested to see given so much information is kind of first, uh, first gathered on Twitter, and that's how a lot of people kind of get their first exposure to what's happening in the world, how that'll be impacted when there's a little bit of a paywall. And also to that point, Juliana, I know we started talking about a couple of episodes ago recently, you know, Patreon, these subscription options. I, I imagine a lot of platforms are thinking about how to create this. What I think is is underrated on this announcement and this feature is the way that it's so easily and simply communicated and it's so user-friendly. So I think, you know, we talk about it in a lot of other features when these platforms are kind of do doing the race to create it of like, which one makes the most sense? Which one's easiest to understand? Which one is like the most accessible for, for users and for followers? And I think that this is so simple of an integration into the platform. It feels like the most obvious option. And I think it'll gain a lot of traction being on that platform and integrating so seamlessly into people's content. It, I was really impressed by the way they did that. I have a weird thought question which i didn't see answered and i'm just wondering is in the super subscription super follow option rather um do they have to follow the same privacy code for the content that they're sharing so the reason i'm asking is and privacy might not be the right word but like does this go after only fans I mean, Twitter's notoriously not very tight on their um, policy. <laughs> so I'd imagine that they're not going to be super vigilant around the content here. I don't know if they've announced that yet, but th that's that's a possibility. I mean, a lot of OnlyFans people direct users from Twitter to OnlyFans. No, but, it, but that's like the whole point. That's my whole thing is like instead of needing to have that extra step, are they able to just build it directly into the app? And that and, you know. OnlyFans, while great for creators, is notoriously a shitty interface. 
like it's hard to get people paid it you don't get notifications from dms like there it's got it, it doesn't have sort of that peer-to-peer -peer capability that twitter does so i wonder if something like this actually can cut twitter or can cut only fans out of the mix yeah and it looks like they they announced that the bonus content will be through the form of tweets and newsletters so right now it looks like it's text-based but i wouldn't i don't know i would love to see if twitter's going to have that in their uh feature soon but a lot I mean, of crazy stuff what do you got juliana Oh, no, I'm just saying I, I can only imagine how much more that's going to stir up those conversations as Twitter tries to get a rein in on the type of information being shared on their platform. Uh, if people are you know, using that as a monetization uh, arm and not just sort of their, their way of getting that following that will then follow them onto Gab or YouTube or whatever have you, you know, another, say, high profile individual is knocked off. I can only imagine the type of stir that'll cause, but that's further down the slide than we are right now. So <laughs> I also wonder if by election season, this will be up and running again, because the ability to fundraise for a campaign could be very interesting as well. Oh, definitely. All right. We'll see you guys in four more years. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's keep rolling. Uh, we've talked about this a few times and for a few platforms, but Juliana, TikTok is adding accessibility features to the app. Can you give us a rundown on what's going on there? Yeah, so Twitter, uh, or rather, my apologies, uh, TikTok is essentially adding an accessibility overview. So, you know, TikTok has kind of been on the, um, I'd say the forefront of ensuring that accessibility is uh, kind of central to the way that the app works. And now there's just having a place where it's all essentially consolidated. If a person's curious about what is available from an accessibility standpoint with TikTok, Everything is listed in one space, detailing all the variety of features. You know, there are photo sensitivity warnings, the closed captioning capabilities, the speech to text, um, you know, showing you that you have the option if you want thumbnails to be animated or static, and essentially just having it all in one space. And so what I really think the value of this is, is as TikTok kind of continues to be, again, the, the first more or less mover or shaker on this space, it'll be a great space to kind of document what new things they're adding. And I think, you know, as we live in this kind of uh, in this case, for better, uh, Me Too universe, where other people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon of what other apps are doing, TikTok showing, you know, what it's working on and what things that users are able to uh, take advantage of, it'll just be a great space to kind of document what's going on as far as accessibility becoming a lot more ingratiated in our culture rather than something that's kind of a uh, nice to have. Yeah, that's great. And I love that, you know, we are having more conversations around accessibility in the last year, I'd say, especially within social and digital media than we've ever had. So to your point, Juliana, that like transparency around like, what can platforms do? What do users want to see? What is helpful as a consumer is just always going to help push things forward even quicker. It's awesome. Yeah. And when it's no longer a mystery, you know, people can then say, okay, well, what about this next thing? Why are we doing this thing? Right. Versus having, say, having to learn about it because a different user you followed did a thing and now you want to understand how that works and just having it all laid out in the forefront i think will be really great for those that are um more in the activist space for uh, those with disabilities to be able to ask well why doesn't this thing exist yet so very exciting awesome great now we're going to talk about not as interesting but i've always wondered about this next topic amanda so there was a penalty imposed by Instagram when you would share your feed posts in stories, which I do all the time. It's a very common action of mine. 
So what's going on? Why did Instagram reverse the decision? And, and let's talk about what that means for users and brands. Yeah, so originally Instagram said that they had done research, quote unquote, that shows that people prefer to see original photos and stories in their in their uh, stories feed. Um, so they decided, I think we talked about a couple weeks ago, to limit the reach of these kind of reshares from feed, but also li- limit the reach of videos with watermarks, TikToks, things like that. So really all they were doing was making sure that things that were captured in the Instagram story camera were prioritized. But in the last couple of weeks, they've gotten called out a lot by, you know, limiting this reshare. They're actually limiting a lot of voices that are really important on the platform, a lot of opinions and a lot of thought leaders. So a lot of people that were creating content that they were hoping to be shared and kind of spread across the internet were noticing that these specific posts when shared stories were doing objectively way worse than their other posts. So a lot of conversation, a lot of, you know, tagging Instagram and and Facebook in why this is happening. And this is actually the first time in recent memory um, that Instagram has actually listened to a pretty strong user complaint. And they've announced that they're actually going to remove that limitation and allow in-feed posts in stories to reach the same amount of people as regular stories would. So this is pretty interesting. I think this is maybe the first time that public sentiment has actually moved Instagram to, to change a feature so quickly. It makes you think, you know, we got we got some power as, fa- as uh, Instagram users. The more we talk about it, the more we talk about what we want and how we want our behavior to operate in that app. Uh, maybe they'll listen a little bit more. Maybe. What do you guys think? I finally listening to the people a little bit, not <laughs> just doing what they think is going to make them some money. Um, I love the ability to do this. Sometimes I spend more time in stories than I do in feed. And, you know, sometimes that like one photo encapsulates what I'm trying to see. So I'm able to drive back and maybe I discover a new user. Maybe I learn about, um, you know, something that I wasn't going to have the chance to see. Maybe the algorithm wouldn't have served up that post to me. Like I, I like, being able to do this. And I think the fact that Instagram is listening to the masses who are telling them how they use the platform regularly um, seems ideal to me. Um, I don't see marketers doing this a ton where brands are posting what they post in feed into their stories, but it's an interesting organic tactic that I'd be curious to see how it would perform. Yeah, I definitely think from the perspective of influencers, who I think are the ones that primarily try to draw that attention from story into feed, because obviously, or rather, um, you know, the large reason why, at least I believe, uh, Instagram went about this is because people kind of, much like you, Kenny, go through stories, and then the algorithm for feed is kind of a a little bit more to, to go through. And so uh, they drop off, and this is trying to encourage people to be in their feed more often. But I think for influencers, you know, who want to draw people from that new post uh, story and then actually onto their pages. This will be great, allowing them to, again, kind of get that engagement that they had once before and making sure that they're able to use their influence to the maximum extent. So as far as that kind of, uh, I guess, like secondary uh, marketing standpoint, this will be really beneficial being able to regain that power of the influencer. It's also funny, you kind of summed it up really succinctly, Juliana, in that most people see the feed as being repetitive of what they've already seen in stories, whereas Instagram, in some world, was thinking people saw their stories as repetitive of their feed. So it's just a case of like really understanding your audience, how they're using the platform, what is their behavior, is does it shift? Of course, the feed was always what Instagram was, but maybe that's not really how we define Instagram anymore. Turning point. 
All right. It is a turning point, and it's a turning point into our final thing of the day, uh, which I'm glad we're ending on this, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Uh, Juliana, TikTok's new initiatives to support Black-owned businesses. What are they doing? Yeah, no, this is a this is a fun day for TikTok. <laughs> um, you know, seeing the reality of the pandemic's effects on small businesses, but especially more so um, Black businesses, where they were kind of disproportionately impacted. You see a lot more Black businesses having to have closed. Um, TikTok is really kind of stepping up their game to provide more support. So they're starting a Black creatives program in order to foster talent. Uh, they have this new online hub that's for Black business owners, uh, providing not only support, but also education, resources, tools, kind of allowing them to, uh, to get that uh, additional knowledge in order to kind of better shore up their businesses. Uh, they're also partnering with something called Talent X Opportunity, or TXO, which is this accelerator program. Um, it's meant to allow uh, individuals to work with TXO as an almost strategic partner. And so this will allow them to amplify their success, you know, get uh, unlocked tools, resources, have uh, this network of uh, individuals that can help them from their business standpoint, allow their businesses to move into these kind of more thriving enterprises. Um, and so it started as part of this um, employee resource group within TikTok called BLXCK. Um, and which is really interesting about this as well, outside of all of the, you know, information, knowledge uh, sharing and resourcing is also that, you know, as um, TikTok has allowed it that Black businesses, creators that participate in their various programs, they'll also get uh, $1,000 in ad credits, along with all this various access to these resource groups and even uh, Vimeo's business control tools, which is more of like long-form access uh, or long-form video access. So it's kind of a mouthful just because of how many things they're doing, but I think it's pretty exciting that it's not, you know, just a a toe in the water of supporting Black businesses, but it's really kind of diving fully in. It'll be really exciting to see what comes of it. Um, any thoughts from you? I know, Kenny, you were pretty hyped to, st uh, to start talking about this. Yeah, I love the way that TikTok is supporting the Black community on the whole, from creators to businesses. We at Gray have had the unique perspective and opportunity to work with TikTok on this front through the Widen the Screen initiative for Procter & Gamble. And we see firsthand what they are doing to make sure that this community of creators and business owners uh, who are the lifeblood of our country and who are driving our collective culture are compensated and seen and able to uh, stand out among uh, the broader general user base. Uh, this is, you know, this is mission critical. Uh, and I think that TikTok has not just said that they're doing this, but they've really taken up the mantle and they've been uh, forceful in their support of the black community. And it's, uh, it's pretty spectacular. Uh, it makes, it makes me as a marketer want to work with them. Um, it makes me, as a marketer, want to recommend them to the brands that we work with. Um, and, and it shows true action. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I think. I, and, and this is just another step in the right direction that TikTok is taking. It's also great, too, to see how these initiatives are actually supporting Black-owned businesses full stop, not on TikTok, not, you know, this is the best practice for your video. This is a tool that you can use to edit X, Y, and Z. It truly is 
seeming like it's helpful to the business beyond the platform, which I have not seen any of these, you know, um, accelerator programs extend too much beyond, you know, the platform into the real world. So I think this is a really, really uh, thoughtful take on how to actually help these businesses and these content creators that I hope the other platforms kind of pick up on um, and continue the conversation with. So long live TikTok. Long live TikTok. There it is. <laughs> All right, everyone. That's our time. Uh, just wanted to say thank you to Joey, our producer, for keeping us moving. To Amanda and Juliana for being unbelievable co-pilots in this Five Things journey. Uh, if you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcastagray.com. We have another special episode coming your way next week. So I'm really excited for you to see that. I'm not going to give away what you're getting, but you're going to get it. Um, And that is really just all of the news that's fit to print. Uh, With that, I want to say thank you to everyone here at Gray Towers, where I am located. It's good to be back in the heart of the Flatiron District. And as always, as it gets hotter and crazier out there in this world, stay safe, stay smart, and stay social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.